0: Hey Canes fans, welcome to the inaugural episode of the Rod the Podcast. My name is Jordan Betts and I'll be your host. As always, I'm joined with my co-host Mike May. Mike's going to give you a little brief overview of what we hope to accomplish here with the podcast. Our goal with the
1: podcast is to provide the Canes community with our unique spin on all the elements surrounding the organization. We felt embarking on this podcast was important to provide a holistic view of Canes fandom. A critical component to this podcast will be your engagement as we traverse the complexities of the Carolina Hurricanes franchise in pursuit of their second Stanley Cup.
0: As Mike alluded to, your engagement's vital to the podcast. In that purview, we think it's important that you get to know Mike and I as people and and that's why we want to give you a little background on ourselves and Mike Mike tell tell the listeners a little about your background.
1: Well, I've been in Raleigh since 96. I grew up with two brothers and a sister. We were all huge Canes fans. Our family grew up loving hockey. We've been going to games ever since Carolina came to Raleigh. Um, All my friends growing up, huge hockey fans. So it's kind of been a staple in my life since I was very little. And it's always been Canes fandom. You know what I mean? And we're lifelong Canes fans. We love watching in the good years, the bad years. I mean, we just have a, a great community, whether it's the players, the coaches, everything we have going on, the fans. It's just an awesome place. So that's kind of where I come from. I mean, I was surprised I didn't play for the Canes. I was a mean street hockey player, and I kind of <laughs> didn't envision myself doing a podcast. I was more expecting to be playing for the Canes by now, but, you know, not all dreams come true. But
0: Sorry you're not our first player interview, but, you know, kind of... You know, and juxtaposing Mike, I, I didn't come from a hockey family. I grew up down at the beach in Wilmington, uh, playing every sport besides hockey. Um, I was fortunate enough to obtain a baseball scholarship and, and go to Duke University, and played four great years of baseball there before I was drafted by the Boston Red Sox and spent five years in their organization. Uh, I've been blessed by sports, and even had the opportunity to call baseball games on ESPN Network, ACC Network, uh, Blue Devil Network, and to really just just grow in the platform and kind of get a, um, feel for being in front of the microphone. And this is just the next step in that. And my love for the Canes has been completely self-taught. I, you know, like I said, I didn't come from a hockey family and, you know, I, I didn't really understand the game. I I remember the Canes winning in 06 and everyone was very excited about that, but that was kind of blip on the radar. And, um, back in the dark days I was in Durham training preparing for spring uh, spring training and just happened to meet Mike here at a wedding and you know just started talking canes going to games and although the team was bad the, the tickets were cheap so I had the opportunity to you know see a lot of games and just got heavily invested and learned and used my sports knowledge in other areas to you know attribute it to my canes knowledge and now NHL knowledge and it's been really a fun process for me. Um, And and that's kind of why I think Mike and I are endeavoring into this uh, podcast because we think there's an opportunity for us to be, you know, a pseudo voice of the fans and um, really grow into something that can be special and representative of of all of us here in Raleigh. Now that we've provided you with a a brief overview of, of who we are and, you know, why we appreciate the Canes, I think Mike, really, Mike and I want to jump into our, our first segment tonight. And if you could tell by the uh, podcast episode one name, uh, piloting expectations, I I think the goal of episode one is to basically set the preface for our offseason discussion. And to do that, we really need to evaluate the 2021 season. Uh, did the Canes meet expectations, Mike?
1: So when you really boil it down, this, this is a totally opinion-based question. Um, if you're going to say, did they meet expectations and just take that off the exit in the playoffs, then I think that's a little short-sighted. I think if you ask us at the beginning of the season, how do you feel if the Canes win the Central Division, a division that has Tampa no, Bay, yeah, no the chance. Stanley Cup champions, and Dallas Stars – the Stanley Cup semifinalists, or
0: you know, I, I I can only speak for myself, but you know that I felt second place, and we'd be thrilled with that, and yeah. you know, hoping for a hard-fought first series with you know the defending runner-ups, yep. Dallas Stars, uh, who ultimately, obviously, don't make the playoffs. But expectations do evolve, and and I think as fans, we kind of get caught up in the emotion. But if you can think back, I think most. Cain's fans, I know you and I are obviously included in this group, would have been thrilled to win the Central Division, and I think that shows growth. And, Absolutely. You know, I, I know Sebastian Ajo, and you know, obviously his voice carries a lot of weight here. He, he said it didn't feel like an advancement. O- other pundits around the community and media said it didn't feel like an advancement. And, well, for one, if you just look at the playoffs, it, it was. I mean, last year they lost to Boston in the first round. So, so this year they at least made it to the second round. Um, but. Are we really saying this team in 2021 is not better than the 2019 team just cuz that team made it to the Eastern Conference final?
1: So it's all it's all perspective and I mean you look at a guy like Sebastian Aho, Sebastian Aho's goal in in life and everything is win it all. And that's why he's Sebastian Ajo. That's why he's done what he's done. That's why he's at where he's at in his career is because he's a supreme competitor. So if Sebastian Ajo came out and told me that he was excited that they made it to the second round, then I would be shocked. So we expect him to say that. That is what you expect out of a guy that is competitive as him. From a fan's perspective, if you look at it and you boil it down, you're looking at a Tampa Bay Lightning team that is just absolutely stacked. You're talking about... Probably the best goalie in the world. You're talking about one of the best goal scorers or playmakers in Kucherov when he's healthy. You have Braden Point, that's severely underpaid, elite center. I mean, you bring back Stamkos. You have a a, a number one defenseman in Victor Hedman in his prime. I mean, their the whole Norris winner like Sergachev is starting to become the guy that they they traded in for. I mean, they've obviously won that deal. And like you look at this amazing back end. You look at this fourth and third line that's just amazing talent. The guys you want to have grinding and possessing pucks and tracking down pucks, Like that's a team that's going to be hard to beat no matter what. And I know the series ended 4-1, but you look at it from five on five and you feel really good about it, like how the Canes played. I mean, there were blips where you're like, "Ah, I'm not liking how we're playing five-on-five, but we competed five-on-five. The biggest thing that really hurt us, and you can say this through the whole playoffs, was just the lack of discipline, and you can blame some of it on the referees if you want to. There were some bad calls. There's always bad calls. Refs are humans. So you can blame it on the referees a little bit if you want, but the reality is they put themselves in a position to be in the penalty box. And when you're doing that against a Tampa Bay lightning team that was at the time, 40% in the playoffs on the power play, you're, you're not going to like the end result.
0: No, I, I, I totally agree. And I do want to do a deeper dive into not only the Tampa series, but the Nashville series coming up, but you know, as far as Sebastian Ajo likely the, the future captain of the team after Jordan stall, um, that's exactly the mindset you want from your leaders. Uh, obviously, he's worn an A a few times uh, when Slavin and Marduk were injured. But, you know, this is a guy that carries a tremendous amount of weight in the room, and he should. He's your best player. Um, but it's different. You know, having spent time in locker rooms, you've spent time in locker rooms. When you have success, there's only one end goal. Players don't view uh, season and how how you're, uh, as a team, how the season ended based on it's all about winning the last game. If you don't right. win the last game man, like mm-hmm. it's a failure. I mean, yeah. especially when you have a team that did win a division yeah. that has made deep runs in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It's the same core of guys. They expect to make the jump. That's why it's imperative of fans not to take that as the word of God. We we need to be objective and, and understand that to your point, Tampa's roster, and we don't want to play the whole, you know, 18 million over the cap game, but on paper, that's the best roster in hockey. And, it, and it's anchored by the the best goaltender in the world. And yeah. to to look at the Canes roster, which is immensely talented and young and up-and-coming and all those things, I've told you this for a long time. I didn't think the window opened this year. I thought we were still one year away. And to me, the, the big question in a year was, is Morazic the guy? And where I'm excited moving forward is... I don't think it's Peter, but I think for the first time, maybe since young Cam Ward, the franchise feels like, hey, we have a number one goalie, and it's a young kid who's a Cal- Calder finalist in Alexandelkovich. Yeah. And I mean,
1: tracking him since we drafted him, you know, as a goaltender for the U.S. team, like he was stupendous when he was young. He was a guy that you looked at and you're like, great athleticism, great hockey IQ. He makes those reactionary saves. I mean, his obvious knock is his size, but. If you put that dude in a six foot two frame and a little bit broader shoulders, you're talking about an elite goaltender. He has all the other tools. Now with that being said, that doesn't matter. Sure, he's twenty five. He's probably maxed yeah. out yeah, physically. Don't, don't think we're getting any more growth out of him. We can we can we can pray that maybe he stretches a little bit, but we all know that's not happening. So at the end of the day, you look at it and you've got a guy that's shown that he has composure. I mean, look at Look at some of the he had some bad goals he let in.
0: Yeah, I, I think the, the goal that's gonna game one Tampa, yeah, the of course the game ender basically and in a game that the Canes were largely the better team. That Absolutely. that's gonna be the the glaring like look at this moment and I, I guess he also got, although it was labeled as a mental respite, he, he did get benched for Peter when they were yeah. down two oh. I don't think that was necessarily indicative of Ned's performance. Yeah. This is a kid that in his first NHL playoff experience had a nine twenty save percentage. I mean yeah. Canes yeah. didn't lose this series because of Ned or goaltending. Well, yeah. Game, game four was a little loose from mm-hmm. Peter. You know, yeah. you can't give up six, especially when Vasi only gives up four that you got to win that game. But yeah. ultimately the big question mark nationally and in, in the Canadian media, American media has always been Canes goaltending. Well, going into next year, I don't feel like that's the case.
1: No, I mean the thing that really gets me excited is the composure of when he made mistakes. Like you saw the head sink for a second, but it was it was right back. He locked back in. I felt like he locked back in. I think as a goaltender, it's a mental game. It's a mind game. You can't get on top of yourself. Like you got to you got to always be confident in your abilities regardless of the mistakes you make. I think that's a huge credit to him. I mean, he's obviously grown in that fashion over time and you you like to see that in a goalie you know you like to see that you like to see his awareness his puck playing we all talk about it it's obviously puts your team in a whole different position when he can drop behind the net retrieve the puck and your two defensemen have the comfort to go straight to the boards and we're playing out of the zone through the goalie like that's a much more difficult forecheck for the opposing team because you're playing with an extra skater at that point
0: Puck, the way he handles the puck is a total game changer. I, I know we saw some potentially loose plays, but the defensemen talk about wanting him to do that, and I, and I love it. But outside the puck position or puck playing, it, it's really for a 25 year old that had never been in that situation before. The composure, man, like he he he's he's there. And I'm not saying hey sell the farm on his, his contract here this off and give him whatever he wants. I'm, I'm not saying he deserves to be the next Jordan Bennington or yeah. Hell, he's going to be the Cam Ward uh, for the Canes, but he gives me, you know, promise going forward. And yeah. um, I think we have bigger issues to discuss in the playoffs besides the goalkeeping, goaltending. Yeah,
1: and I think we'll discuss more at a later date. But I would, I would, my jump conclusion is that we're looking at maybe a two-year prove-it deal. Two by At, three, maybe. Yeah, I'm thinking two by three is my gut feeling on that. I might be totally wrong. I and They might go for a longer deal. I mean, but I really see it as a bridge deal where he proves himself. It just
0: makes too much sense for yeah. both t- sides. And, and as yeah. you said, we'll, we'll get into that. I don't know if it'll be our next podcast, but we'll have these podcasts periodically throughout the offseason, kind of keeping you guys updated and in the know. Um, now let's kind of pivot, let's macro discuss the Nashville series Let, let's then we'll get into the Tampa series and kind of build us to the point that we're ready to talk about the offseason what do you think about the Pred series
1: so that was one where I mean you look at the discipline right there you can talk well, about reps you, and that.
0: what do you think coming in like what was your expectation
1: expectation was to win the series I would th- I would have thought that we would have won it faster to be totally honest with you I was thinking Kane should have this in five.
0: I was Kane's in five as well. Yeah. So
1: uh, you look at it and you understand their team is hot at the end of the season, but that team just did not thrill me.
0: Yeah. They, they had struggled versus Carolina. Yeah. Um, really didn't, if you disregard that last game, but really didn't beat them in a game all season until the penultimate game. So the next yeah. to last game um, where Carolina tried to win essentially. Yeah. Um, and Carolina was fairly dominant. And all yeah. those games. I didn't think it would be such a test. And I think, unfortunately, you know, having to go six, one, it showed the immense value of Jacob Slavin. Not that us here in Raleigh needed any sort of verification on Absolutely. that. Um, I'm a Dougie Hamilton fan, um, but I think it exposed Dougie. Mm-hmm. But more than anything, going into the Tampa series, it sh- gave Tampa a blueprint Absolutely. for how to. You know, render the canes virtually ineffective. Yep. The the physicality clog in the middle. Um, you know, making sure the goalie has good sight lines, and we we just, Carolina just seemed unable to to crack the code. And you know, UC Saros is a great goalie, but he's not Andre Vasilevsky.
1: No, and they showed that. And I think, like you said, it exposed the weakness of the Hurricanes, in that if you pack it in take away the middle of the ice, force the team to play from the periphery, make it hard in the neutral zone that this team struggles to create. If you play a responsible defensive game and you wait for your chances and you execute your chances, you can beat the Hurricanes. That was the kind of the story I saw that unfolded in Tampa. And I, like you said, that was kind of the mold that Hines had put together in Nashville. And it worked. And it, honestly, I didn't, I didn't love the fact that I was stressed out watching overtime games all the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, to your point, with the overtime, it could have been a sweep. It just played out. Yeah. It went six and it played out. It felt a lot closer than we anticipated. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not necessarily you know, the worst thing in the world. Playoff hockey series are always going to be tough and they're you know a war of attrition. And you were down your best defenseman. and yeah. So I, I don't think you read too much into that. But back to the, the topic of expectation, I think that in that semblance, they underwhelmed compared to expectation Mm -hmm. going into the Tampa series. Um, I don't know about you. I I thought it was gonna be Tampa in six and I, but I felt if Carolina got a home game in seven, they would, they would somehow make it happen. Obviously did not occur. Um, I don't think the series was as lopsided as a, you know, a four to one, you know, five game win for Tampa. Um, but it's just that underwhelmed my expectation and yeah. the, the the truth is although we may have felt or at least I did a year away coming into this the team needs to be harder to play against and these are off-season questions but what did you see in the Tampa series that either one gives you hope that they are getting, the guys internally are going to be able to fix this or that, hey, back to the drawing board, we really got to, you know, Don Waddell and company uh, really need to kind of revisit a lot of things here. So the number one point that
1: I'll start with that's a, l- a little bit of a bridge to your question is the core players, the guys that are what this team is built around, your Sebastian Ajos, your Jacob Slavens, your Brett Pesci's, your Tara Vinan's, your Svechnikov's, these guys that you hope are around for a long time, the heartbreak of the last three years, you hope is growing pains for the future. Um, you look at, you've played Boston, Boston, and now Tampa.
0: Debatably the best team in the league all each, three years. Each year. Yeah. You're and this, not, hey, let's yeah. remember, this is a hyperbole time of year. Everybody's yeah. speaking, you know, being drastic. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to lose to any of those three teams, but it's more yeah. so how they lost.
1: The key is, is when do we get over the hump and become that team? And that's what I think is coming up. And I do think there will be changes to the roster. I don't think all of them are going to be because of management's choice. Um, We'll get more into some of those things later down the road. But you look at the Dougie Hamilton contract, and I would at this point today, I think, what are we, June 14th? I'm concerned. I would think I'm leaning more towards him leaving.
0: And based on Elliot Friedman's report, uh, yeah. it, it sounds like that may be the case. This yeah. morning, he was uh, granted permission from the organization to uh, at least go out and explore trades. I don't. I would say it's probably eighty percent he's gone, okay. um, but maybe he goes out to market and, and doesn't have the you know interest that he's anticipating. He's a six six right handed defenseman that scores, so he he will. Yeah. But maybe he'll find out that. He's not going to get the Peter Angelo deal. He'll be closer to Krug, and if he's closer to Krug, I could see him back here in Raleigh.
1: Absolutely, I think if that's the money. With that being said, term is huge as well. So if if it's he wants seven, eight years, which makes sense at his age, at the stage in his career, he wants to settle down, be somewhere, lock in his contract because you know he's made good money early in his career. Now this is the. This is this the is last contract. Nope. This is what he would probably want to be the big final contract that he plays out his career. Maybe plays as a veteran for one or two seasons after that. This and is he, the
0: money deal, though.
1: As a guy who's turning 28 in a couple of days, you know, you look at a seven, eight year deal. You're talking 35, 36 years old. You it's know?
0: probably not going to age well, and I, maybe, maybe we don't want to get all our Dougie takes. I know he's the the hot button topic right now, but. You know, maybe that contract doesn't age well. The the last thing I'll say on it, because it's like I said, I don't want to detract from our Tampa discussion too much, but you got to pay for offense in this league. And and I'm concerned how the team plays, you know, strategically without an offensive threat in the back end. Because I think Jake Bean, best case at least, is a few years away from being that dynamic guy in the NHL.
1: Absolutely. And yeah, like you said, this will be something that we will touch.
0: A lot. a lot, yeah. This is
1: a topic that we both have very strong opinions about, and we have a lot of opinions about them. So we're, we'll we'll get into this topic at a later episode and really dive in and give you our in-depth analysis on it.
0: You know, pivoting back towards not to ignore the Nashville series, but the Tampa one's the one that matters. You know, I, I think we feel like at the end of the day, although Nashville was a tougher series than we anticipated talent one out they were just the more skilled team and to beat them in six games fine no big deal you roll into the second round uh the what i guess would be called the central finals um to use the 2021 terms mm-hmm. um versus not just the Tampa bay lightning that finished third in the central Division, but uh, the Tampa bay lightning fully loaded and you know I, I don't have a problem with the the cap situation the rules are the rules they, they didn't break any of them. Um, it's been impressive as can be that Nikita Kucherov sat out the whole year and was able to come back and yeah, be hip such a surgery. De- <laughs> that's not <laughs> that's easy, not man. Easy. That, that's, it's not, um, hips are debilitating for athletes. Um, but so for him to come back and, and be ready to go and clicking all cylinders and, you know, let, let's just kind of go, not necessarily game by game, but just giving me a general feel for how you felt about the series. I, I think it's a little superficial to say that, you know, not to critique Rod in any way, but, it's a little superficial to say that Vassy won it because as great as he was, I still thought they got outplayed and maybe not necessarily as much in five on five, but the specialty teams were you know, drastically weighted the other way. I
1: do think if you have a different goalie in that, you maybe see a couple more pucks going. And I think that might change the whole tone of the series if in game one or game two, some of those go in when... He seemed like he wasn't really playing human. You know, so it's really hard because you have to think when do the goals go in because that matters if they're in the very last game and it's down to the wire, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like you saw Yeah, it's
0: that game two goal for Spetch. That didn't move you were down two with ninety seconds. Not
1: moving the needle. Yeah. So you look at it and obviously he's a big part of it, but simultaneously like you have to understand that even though we looked competitive at five on five most of the time, like that team was better. Their team was better, and at every line, their their first line was better than our first line. Their fourth line was better than our fourth line. I mean, it, there's that no doesn't way mean the Canes it.
0: didn't play well, control yeah. the game for large swaths. I mean, and you can make the argument. Game one, Carolina was definitely the better team. Yeah. Game two, I thought Tampa was the better team. Basically, throughout. Yeah. Game three, the game the Canes won. Tampa dominated that game. That was maybe the Canes' worst game until game five. That's the nature of hockey. And then, you know, game four with all the oddities of that second period and, uh, you know, weird goals, you just, when you're playing a guy as good as Vasi, you just can't lose a game when he gives up four and he gives up a soft one to slave in. And, you know, game five, the the crowd was was great. It, it felt like PNC how we expected to be in the playoffs, but as soon as... Tampa got the first one that it just died, and it you know the belief seemed to just sink out of the building. And reality was yeah, it, it's at some point the mentality. As much as these guys you know won it, I'm I'm not sure if it's a mentality. I think we talked leaving the arena that night. Is is it playoff hockey's different? Is you know we're such an analytically driven organization. I think you can compare the Canes in a way to the, you know, the old athletics, the Billy Bean. Well, I guess Billy Bean's still there, but the Billy Bean athletics and the fact that we're going to do things a little different, but when the, you know, margins shrink, when it's, you know, a seven game series, as opposed to, well, 50, 60, sure you 82 games. The, the margins are so much more slight and I'm a pro analytics guy, Mm -hmm. but are we really, you know, positioning ourselves from a, you know, cultural standpoint, which I think Rod does a great job. I'm just kind of more, you know, throwing things against the wall. Is it, is it culture? Is it physicality? Is it, is it a lack of skill between the Carolinas of the world and the Colorado, Vegas, Tampa, who are the only teams that I think are on paper better than Carolina at this point?
1: Yeah, so as you are, like, I think there is a huge place for analytics in sports in general. I think it's amazing, and I think, what Tolski does with our team is phenomenal.
0: That that's one guy they gotta keep, yeah. no doubt. We gotta break out of the checkbook. But we'll get into checkbooks <laughs> at a
1: later date <laughs> for many reasons. But you look at it and it's a it's growing just like any other profession. Hockey analytics aren't fifty years old. And we have to realize how do we measure playoffs versus regular season? And I know they have Tools to do that. I know they do that. It's fine-tuning those things to find players that are successful in both situations.
0: Well, I test and analytics. Yeah. Analytics, right? You know, um, not to go back to our old pal Dougie Hamilton, but analytics say he's one of the best three to five defensemen in the entire league. And sometimes I love him, but you, yourself on the but, head. but you you watched him in the Nashville series and it was a little bit of a liability. Now I, I think impending free agent spotlight has always seemed to follow that guy. I think his mistakes are often, you know, exceptionally divisive, you know, in the yeah. hockey Twitter, even Kane's Twitter. And so I think we maybe exaggerate those things, but there is a disparity between the analytics and the eye test on him. I mean, heck you, you look at uh, analytics and you know, some models struggle to like goaltending analytics are really tough. Like Andre Vasilevsky is not an analytical dream, but When you watch him play, he's the consensus best guy in the world.
1: Yeah. And, like, when I think about it, when I really dive in and try to think about Dougie analytically, it's obviously the numbers are going to be there. Dude is a possession wizard. I mean, puck movement's fantastic. His power play play is fantastic. Offensive is fantastic. He plays with Jacob Slavin. It doesn't matter what your analytical measure is. When he that's going to skew yep. it. When he
0: plays with Jacob, he is at least an average defenseman, no doubt. Yeah. I, I think that's probably what he always is. But when you play with Jacob Slavin, he becomes an above-average defensive defenseman. Yeah. When you take that away, he's a top-pairing guy who is more offensively oriented. Yeah. You, you touched on Dougie in the power play, and I, I think for me – even more than the kill, uh, that the power play was just a glaring weakness in the series. And um, I, I know we've talked a lot about it, but just talk, tell me what your thoughts are on the Canes power play in the Tampa series and kind of what you were seeing from a strategic perspective.
1: Yeah, so this is the Rod, the podcast. So in Rod, we trust. So, But you and I, we sit here and we're talking about it, and you're looking at these units, and you have the number two unit in the league for the regular season. Regular you have talent, the pucks flying around, it looks beautiful, the system's working really well. You get some injuries, you see some changes, and all of a sudden, I, it's just, it looks different. And taking Svetch off, I know this is a big point for you, taking Svetch off power play one, and then not having success, not having success, not having success, and leaving him off power play one, that was when I started to get like, alright, we you've got to throw your boy back on there because... He's a game changer, whether it's his puck retrieval or his setups. Like he he does it all ultimately on the power play, and he's a workhorse. So
0: yeah, I they they scored in the Nashville series. I honestly forget what game it was. Nature scored uh, glove side high on Soros on kind of like a mixed. Uh, they were they were changing between group one and two. Nature had not traditionally been on the first unit. Um, and scores a goal and then Rod kind of just came back to that group for the rest of the postseason you know removing Svetch off the first unit and you know while I understood him carrying that into the next game and then into the Tampa series when it became apparent that group had no rhythm with each other and that's not to say Marty Natchez is, is not a first line power play quality guy because he he's one of the more talented players not only in on the team but you know creativity wise speed wise the way he can bring the puck in and the way he sees the game, you know, he's one of the real burgeoning players in the league. This guy is incredible. We're very fortunate to have him. But it was apparent him and Dougie had no rhythm. No chemistry. You know, how many drop back passes just went straight into the neutral zone? They weren't yeah. in the same situation. You touched on it. Svetch, puck, retrieval. I mean, even when in a down year, the, the guy is easily the best on the team at going into the corner and getting the puck and retrieving it off the face-off in possession for this team and their power play has just been vital. You know, zone entries are not great, but if they keep the zone, they, they, really they do. And that speaks to it. They were the second best power play unit in the whole league during the regular season. Um, this will be a reoccurring theme, even though he had a, a down year, as I alluded to in the playoffs. Well, he he was your high scoring forward in the Tampa series, you know, five points in five games. Um, you got to let the young bull play, man. If this team is going to win a cup with this core group of guys, he's going to have to be your superstar. Sebastian Aho, great player. But Andrei Svetchakov needs to become one of the best 10 players in the world, and he has the ceiling to do that. Everyone around the league will tell you he has the ceiling to do that. You just got to trust him in those situations. And he, you know, he needs to get rid of the, you know, weak infractions, stick infractions, you know, reckless play. I don't think you want to take that edge. Rod has talked about that, you know, a ton, but when this, when your season's on the line, you got to have your best players out there. And, you know, we can talk about Rod's insistence on playing guys on their offside on the half wall. And, um, you know, how much more time that takes to get off one timers and things of that nature. Um, I, I'm hopeful just like we saw in 2019 when he kept Justin Falk on there for the entire year, first unit for the entire year and to the playoffs, that we'll use this off season and kind of make that adjustment going into next year, um, because we saw how that unit took off in 2020 and how good it was this year. And you know, as you said, and, and Rod, we trust. So we're we're confident. You know, assuming uh, Tom Dundon does the right thing, Knock on wood. that uh, um, Rod is savvy enough and you know, obviously a great hockey mind to to put his guys in a position to succeed. You know, moving from the the power play to you know the penalty kill which was obviously a major you know, point of emphasis in the Tampa series. Um, Mike, how did Carolina go from maybe having the best penalty kill in the world versus Nashville to uh, seems like giving up a goal every other opportunity versus uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning? Well,
1: um, if you look at Tampa Bay's power play and some of the guys they have on there, it's an incredible power play. And you think about the fact that If you look back at a lot of their power play goals, they would be uh, clear that just barely didn't get out of the zone. And as soon as you're out of position, that power play is going to put the knife to your throat. Yeah, no, it really felt like... It's surgical.
0: Oh, It it really felt like you could see it at the blue line when, when Hedman would keep it in and we would be overextended. Then it was just tic tac toe, and, and see you later, and it it, it didn't matter, you know. Yeah. When you have Victor Hedman, Nikita Kucherov, Braden Point, Steven Samkos, and Alex Kalorn, I mean, the last guy might not make sense, but he's a bull in the middle and behind the net and doing a great job of you know being the physical presence, so the other guys can you know let their elite talents you know shine through. I think the moral of the story is just don't go on the don't go on the kill first versus, oh, yeah. versus the lightning.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, you look back at it and it's something that we would have loved to not have to deal with, but it happened. It was the hand we were dealt and they capitalized and it's unfortunate. But like I said, I think it's growing pains. I think some of the penalties we took in that series were very silly. I just think some of them were not smart. You go know, offensive zone penalties at any point are not ones you like to see. And especially in such a Heightened environment where every power play penalty kill matters I mean the team went from having a power kill to looking like it had one of the worst in the playoffs So uh, that's a credit to Tampa Bay Um, And it's one of those things like guys are gonna learn from that, you know, you have to be more responsible you look at we're talking about this right now, but you look at a team like the Islanders and when when they play their hockey and when they don't take penalties they're not by any means one of the better teams in hockey in my opinion from a talent standpoint but they're coached extremely well they play within their system and when they're not taking penalties they're they look great because they're hard to beat you know so i think the canes have something to learn from that personally i think we need to stay out of the box if we want to have a chance to win the cup you have to have every area of your game iron tight at that point so
0: no, I, I totally, totally agree with you. And hey, I Canes fans, and you, you're never going to hear the the apologists, the the refs, neat are cheating us from us. I mean, that's just never going to be our perspective. You know, would we have liked to see the the numbers a little bit closer as far as opportunities? But and I'll, I'll look you right in the face, Mike, and say I had little to no faith that we were doing anything on the power play anyway. So it was more so keeping Tampa, uh, you know, staying out of the box and keeping Tampa off. Uh, the power play, and, you know, that was the difference in the series. And combine that with Andre Vasilevsky, you know, taking the opportunities to stand on his head and really, you know, steal the momentum, that that kind of wrote the, the book on the, the Kane season. And um, to kind of surmise my, my thoughts on the, the playoffs and the regular season is, to to use the, the quote from uh, the great Dennis Green, they are who they thought we were. This this team is exactly who I thought they were going to be. Talented, up and coming. They overachieved based on my initial expectations in 2021 during the regular season. Uh, they disappointed slightly based on the hope that had grown. But if I'm being honest with myself, I thought Tampa was better. Like I said, I picked them in six. Does this you know diminish my expectations into next year? Absolutely not. If they are strategic this offseason, you know, find a way to keep a Dougie Hamilton or replace him talent-wise, they should be right back in this position. And I'll be the first to say it. Andrei Svechikov's not going to have another down year. Not like this year. Sebastian Hauk keep, keeps getting better. Hopefully Tavo Teravainen doesn't miss literally almost the entire season. Um, are you going to get the same types of years from Jordan Stahl, Nino Niederreiter, Vincent Trocek? I hope so. Um, because the lack of that second line scoring was, was glaring in the Tampa series, but I'm extremely hopeful. Um, Discovering what you had, Ned, the young core, these guys have three, you know, years of tangible playoff experience. They don't know what it's like not to go to the playoffs. And so I'm very confident and I'm sure you feel the same.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we know that the organization is heading in the right direction. Um, you look at the Dougie Hamilton deal, and that can—that's a definitely a massive stress point for a lot of Canes fans. The reality of it is, it's really out of anyone's hands but Dougie's. It's what Dougie wants, and if ultimately it doesn't work out in in our structure, I mean, you have to think about it. If the term and the dollar is too high, and, and, and we, you can't afford him, you can't afford him. That is what it is. We're not blessed with a Nathan Nathan McKinnon contract. We don't have a superstar player getting paid second line money. You know, we don't have that wiggle room necessarily because you gotta get Aho. He's paid. And you gotta get Svech paid, whether that's a bridge deal or a long term deal coming up. No,
0: like, no, and they were fortunate to get Pesci Slavin and Terravine at the numbers they got them. Yeah. But we're not playing the second best player in the world, you know, pennies for what he's worth.
1: Oh, absolutely not. And and you look at the the Slavin and the and the Pesci contracts. And when I think about them, in terms of what does that mean towards our cap hit? You also look at the Brady Shays and the Garden and the Gardeners, excuse me. And so the back end is heavily priced already. And with a guy, one guy that's not even playing. Um, opinions on Shea he he looked a lot better in the playoffs he definitely raises value in the playoffs absolutely that's still a contract I look at and I'm like you would like to see more value out of that slot Um, we're also I mean we're spoiled like you're looking at it and you're looking at Jacob Slavin money for Brady Shea and you're like oh man like this is tough he he's probably a little bit overpaid based on NHL standard if you're asking my opinion would I be happy for him to stay? I think at this point you you'd like to keep him. If you see him go, I also think that's not the end of the end of the world. I think he, he can be replaced sure. if necessary. And
0: I'm actually kind of glad you you led us down this this rabbit hole because I think it sets us up nicely to kind of give a little teaser for what we're gonna do next week. And um our, our goal as we get into the offseason, now that we've discussed uh, the regular season playoffs we are in full off season mode here at the podcast and it's going to be an eventful one. Maybe the the most important off season, the history of the franchise uh, next week. I mean, I think we're going to most importantly, this is the podcast. We, we need to talk about that Rod Brendamore contract and mm-hmm. is he going to be able to get his staff taken care of? Or is Tom Dundon going to do the right thing? Uh, additionally, as, as things go on, uh, we, we're going to of course talk about the, you know, Andre Fesnikov's uh, RFA status. What's that deal going to look like? Is it going to be a bridge? It's going to go long term. Uh, they're going to extend him to eight. We'll see. It's going to be a hard number to define money wise based on mm-hmm. his year this year. Um, unsurprisingly to you guys that have stuck with us for this long, we're going to talk a lot of Dougie Hamilton. Is it going to be a sign and trade? Are they going to get a deal done? Uh, I think Dougie would love to stay. I think the organization would like to have him. But what's that price point going to be? And right now it's just not looking great. Uh Lastly, we're we're gonna give in-depth details. We'll go through the lineup, you know, look at the RFAs, the UFAs, and you know, give a holistic breakdown of who we think stays, what number they probably need to be that from a be at from a cap standpoint to really give this team position to really give this team an opportunity to position itself uh, to where it needs to be to you know remain a cup contender. How's that sound, Mike?
1: That sounds great, and uh, just a. quick psa from the boys at the podcast if we're losing and at home and maybe it's a playoff game
0: especially an elimination playoff game
1: let's try not to do the wave um the wave is fine when we're smacking the islanders in the second round uh that was a whole vibe that was a vibe that felt real good what doesn't feel real good is when you're losing in the playoffs and you do the wave that might be my opinion i might be totally wrong
0: we're not here to be fun sponges but uh Etiquette.
1: That, that one, yeah, that one. We might have missed. We might have missed the target.
0: Mike, tell people where to find us on social.
1: You can follow us on Twitter at the podcast, on Instagram at the rod the podcast. You can also follow the podcast on Podbean, the rod the podcast. It'll be on YouTube as well as the rod the podcast. Coming soon, we'll have the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well.
0: Mike thanks for letting them know that and, and thanks to you for choosing to spend a few minutes out of your day to you know get a little cane's content and and listen to Mike and I and we're really appreciative and you know humbled by you doing that and we're excited to take this journey with you and uh, I can already envision uh, rod lifting another cup here in the next couple of years and I'm excited to talk about it